0: Good morning, church family. It's good to see everybody out today. Uh, what an awesome day, a beautiful day in February especially to worship. But it's the Lord's Day, and uh, we know that He's here. And Joni, I didn't know you could sing like that. It's a hidden talent uh, that uh, that you have, but she is a blessing. And uh, over over 20 years, 23 years, 24, I'm not sure how long it's been. How many, Joni? 23. 23 years uh, Joni has been serving... Uh, been and leading our preschool and how many children have gone through no telling and uh, now children of children have gone through I'm confident many of them as well so that, that's pretty pretty special well I am going to welcome you today my name is Randy if I haven't met you yet and I'd love to do so but we're in a study of the Sermon on the Mount have been for a few weeks now uh, I'm loving this study it's just so amazingly practical the topics that we talk about are just right where we're at and I can't think of a better one than, than what we're going to talk about today with where our world is and our community, our, our, our culture right now, and a great need. We're going to talk today about a spiritual act that I would almost guarantee every person in this room has done at one point in their life, even if you're not a believer, I got a feeling that you have done this, whether it was in a moment of crisis. Uh, whether it was, uh, in a moment of fear, a moment of desperation, maybe it was a moment of hope, a moment of faith. I don't know what it is, but we're going to talk today about prayer and I got a feeling everybody in the room has prayed at some point. So it's good to have a basis to start from, you know, prayer is something that Jesus talked about a lot. It's something that Jesus did on a regular basis, something he commanded his followers to do. And in turn, he commands us to do today. Now, Jesus didn't tell us a specific place that we had to go to pray. He didn't tell us a specific time of the day or, you know, how you should uh, stand or sit, kneel, whatever you do, how you should dress when you're praying, all those details. He didn't tell us whether your eyes should be open or closed. Most of us find it better to close our eyes because there's too many squirrels that we can see and chase if we don't. But he didn't say you had to do that. He didn't say you have to pray out loud or you have to pray to yourself or anything like that. But Jesus did say a lot about how we should pray and what our prayers should be like. And if you were here last week, you remember that we talked, I hope you remember, we talked about three things that Jesus addressed about how we do them. It's important, we talked about giving, we talked about prayer, we talked about fasting, and we said each of those things are to be done, they're commandments but it's the attitude in which we go about them that we should be humble and private and quiet. And we read, if you recall the Lord's prayer, but I didn't talk much about it. And that's because I'm saved that for today to talk about. So we're in Matthew chapter six and it says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, you probably recognize this as what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, uh, a couple of words that we use to describe it. It's a well-loved prayer. It's been repeated countless times by countless people in Christendom for thousands and thousands of years. And it's, it's a treasure. It really is a treasure. It's something that we should all know by heart. I believe it's something that we ought to repeat uh, periodically. But you know what? Some people view this, uh, this what we call the Lord's Prayer, as some sort of magical spell. And in fact, unfortunately, some people, the only time that they ever pray, the only prayer they ever pray is the Lord's Prayer. You know, and Jesus never intended for that to be done. He didn't say, every time you pray, pray this prayer. He he didn't say that at all. It's a beautiful prayer, but it's not something that's meant for us to repeat word for word, as if some sort of formula uh, for for prayer and, and for success. In fact, Jesus starts off by saying, don't, when you pray, don't babble on like the pagans. Instead he says, pray something like this or along these lines, that's the implication. So the Lord's prayer is beautiful, take nothing from it. But what we discover in the Lord's prayer is a a great model for our prayer, a way for us to pray and to make it personal. Not just words that we read, but words that truly come from the heart. The religious people of Jesus' day, as we talked about last week, would oftentimes stand in public places, and they would pray very loudly. And they would, no doubt, each one would have their own prayer that they probably repeated, you know, day after day or every time they prayed. And many times their prayers would be bragging about their own goodness, or they'd be praying only for themselves. God bless me, and do all this for me. And uh, and really, it was a selfish prayer. It was all words in all meaning, it was just kind of mechanical, it was mindless, it was rote, it was repetitious prayers that they just said. And so Jesus is saying, don't just say the same prayer every time you pray. Your prayer ought to be, and we can fall into that pattern, can't we? We can fall into the pattern of just repeating words and thoughts and never put any real meaning into it. Uh, as I was studying on this, John uh, Stott, who is a scholar and theologian said that, when you pray the rosary, it's kind of an example of this type of prayer that's repetitious, that just, you you can say it without thinking. You can, you know, not to be critical, but but he says that's an example of what we can pray without really having any meaning in it. So Jesus is giving us a living example of how we should pray. And in his model, like I said, we see some very specific and very practical insights about what our prayer should be like. So we all should be praying, And prayer is what brings us into the presence of God. So let's talk about what does Jesus say? What is your prayer? How should you pray? The first example he gives is that prayer should be intimate. Prayer should be intimate. Whenever we pray, we should make it very personal and very intimate between us and God. And this is obvious, I think, by the first two words of this Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said that we should pray to our Father. Now, the word that's used here actually for father, again, we've been talking through this series that the Greeks had different words for the same thing and way they addressed it. And one of the things we talked about love last week, we talked a little bit about perfection with different words. Today, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about what the difference between what we say when we say father, but the word that Jesus used here is the word Abba, which means daddy. It means daddy, it's a very intimate, expression of our heavenly father. Now, the religious people of that day who Jesus often spoke against, they would not even say or spell God's name at all. They were afraid, and this kind of goes back to a, a couple sermons back where we talked about fearing that they would take God's name in vain. They saw God as so distant and so, you know, fearful that they wouldn't even say his name or they wouldn't even spell his name, wouldn't even write it out. Sometimes they would never be that familiar with God. And so they kind of kept him at an arm's distance there. So when Jesus used this title to say, when you pray, you should say, daddy, you should come to father in that way. Use the word Abba. It was very offensive to them. You know, Uh, it it was just uh, something they would never think about doing. But Jesus said that we should pray like that to God because God wants us to come to him like a child would come to their father. With their arms uplifted saying, here, take me, daddy. And we have four kids. And I don't know how many times I would reach down and get a kid and, you know, and haul it up. Sometimes two of them, uh, you know, when you got more than one. But, but your kids want to be held. They want to receive you, especially when they're f- fearful or, or needy or hungry or whatever, whatever it may be. He wants us to see him in that way. He wants to see him in an in intimate way. Not some far off distant being out there somewhere, but a very personal God. And, and approach him in a childlike way to our heavenly father. You know, a little kid, they don't worry about what they're gonna say to their father. They, they don't think about it and, you know, and try to put words together. They don't worry about saying the, the wrong thing. They're innocent, they're transparent, they're loving, they're open, sincere, and honest. And that's what God wants from us. So Jesus said, when you pray, you are praying and reaching out to your daddy. So pray like that, think about that uh, that warm relationship that you should have. Secondly, when we pray, we should be expectant. We should expect God to hear an answer and expect it to happen. James chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and, and tossed by the wind. So whenever you pray, you should come and believe, expect that God actually is going to answer that prayer. Somebody said this, when you pray for rain, you had better carry an umbrella with you. Because if you pray and you have no expectation of that, then that's not a prayer given in faith at all. Notice who we are praying to, our Father who is in heaven. So if we're praying to the God who is in heaven, this is the God of the universe. This is the God who made everything. Nothing is too big for him to do. He is a God who can intervene. He is a God who can literally do the impossible And oftentimes our mind is not broad enough to think what God can do We pray little bitty prayers that we could probably do ourselves. Sometimes we don't actually pray a prayer big enough for sometimes for God to move and Many times in a crisis people will do everything they can do and then pray or people say this they say well, I guess all we can do now is pray And what a totally wrong way to look at it. You know, honestly, prayer should be the first thing that we do. We should pray about it and then see where we're led to act and and maybe do our part in that. But prayer is the most important and most effective thing that we can possibly do. So let me ask you just personally, and you reflect uh, about your prayers. When you pray, is that your last resort? Have you done everything you can think about? You know, have you talked to everybody and tried to make things happen everywhere and go, okay, now I've done my part, now I just need to pray about it. Is that how you pray? Do you really believe that God can do anything? Do you have doubts about the size of your prayer? Oftentimes our prayers, I think again, are so small that there's not much room for God to do great from what we're asking because we're not asking for great things. Is it because sometime deep inside of us, maybe, that we're not really sure that God can do it. So we don't really have the expectation. We're afraid that we're going to set up this expectation that God can't do. And if that's true, then really what you have here is a matter of faith. It's a matter of weak faith. When you pray, realize that you're talking to the God of the universe, the God that has worked an entire Bible full of miracles. And if you ever wonder what God can do, look back at the Bible in the old and new Testament about all the amazing things that God has done that were thought to be impossible. And many of those things that God did were done on the prompt, prompted by the prayers of people. If you look at it, God did amazing things because people had the courage to ask him to do that. God can do anything. So we ought to pray big prayers and pray in expectation. The next thing Jesus said is that our prayer should be reverent. Our prayer should be reverent. And, and we see that in the praise, hallowed be your name. Now the word hallowed, and I know what you're thinking about, you're thinking about Halloween, right? Because that's the only time we ever use that word that I know of. But hallowed, hallowed is one of those words that we don't use a lot, but it means holy. Holy is to be your name. God's name is to be kept holy. Now we'll see this, that The religious Jews of Jesus' day, they had a grip on the idea of God holiness. They didn't have a grip on God's personal love for them and relationship, but they were afraid and they kept God's name holy. God's name is to be kept holy whenever we use it. So whenever we pray, it should be done in a way that is honored, that God is honored, that God is lifted up and God is respected. You know, when I was uh, growing up, my, we would uh, gather around the, the dinner table and we would pray every time before we ate. And sometimes uh, somebody might be upset or somebody might be laughing or something like that. And my dad would oftentimes ask, he would say, are you in the attitude of prayer? And that kind of became a joke, you know, around our table. And sometimes we even use that today. But, but are you in the attitude of prayer? When you come to God, are you coming with a humble, honest, sincere And and seeking and reverent spirit to approach the God of the universe. We don't want him to become so personal that we don't respect him anymore. You know, and, and that happens sometimes today in parenting because, you know, dads try too hard to be one of the kids. And God isn't one of the kids. God is holy and fearful. We should fear him and respect him as well as have a close personal relationship with. So when we approach God in prayer, we need to both remember he is our father and that also he is holy, high and lifted up. We don't disrespect him and become so familiar that we equate him with one of us and we should never approach him carelessly. We should never approach Him casually or nonchalantly or half-heartedly distracted by something else. God is not a God to be trifled with. We can never forget the fearful aspect of God, but we also have to understand that He is a loving Father. Those of us who grew up with with parents that had, you knew that balance, right? You knew uh, that the dad could be loving, but he could also be very firm, Cross the line, and then you got in trouble, right? So that's kind of how we look at God. He wants to have a relationship with us, but we don't need to be too casual in our relationship with Him. The next thing Jesus said when we pray that we should be submitted. We should be submitted to Him. I think that some people are reluctant sometimes to pray because they're not sure that they really want God in their business. You know, do I really want God to know everything about me? How much am I going to tell God, reveal to God? And if I ask him to get involved in this, is he going to step in and, and expect me to do something else? They almost want to keep God at arm's length. Like, God, I really want this from you, but no more. You know, I don't want you telling me or, you know, making me do anything, but, but could you please fill this order for me? Exactly. Our prayers need to be offered with a willingness to let God intercede, and then we are fully submitted to him and to his will. And we see this where Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you pray, do so willing to yield to him, whatever answer God may give you, because God's answer oftentimes will require a response from you. It's not just that God's gonna give you something. It's often that we need to respond back to him. So we need to be in a submitted posture when we come before God. See, prayer isn't just about us talking to God and, and, and God doing something, but it's also about God talking to you. In fact, sometimes I think that prayer is more about submitting our will to God's will than it is for us convincing God to do something. Let me say that again to clarify. It's more about your submitting your will to God in prayer than it is about you Uh, about God, about convincing God to do something for you. Prayer may not immediately change the situation. Have you ever prayed and nothing changed? But hopefully you changed. Our prayer should be designed to the place that even if we don't see the immediate answer, we change something in us to acknowledge that or to accept the the, the no answer or the wait answer, whatever it may be, or even the yes answer. But it also should change us every time. Whenever we pray, we find out that, the, that whatever God is doing and we join him in that. Prayer is a merging of our hearts with God and so we ought to sense God's will and God's direction more in, in, what, in, in our prayers and the response to our prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I'm tempted to tell God what he needs to do because I've already got it figured out. You know, I, it's obvious. I, this is what God should do. This is what I want you to do. This is the best thing that would happen. You know, I want to tell God what to do and ask him to fill the order for me. But, you know, we ought to be asking instead for God's guidance, for God's direction, for God's plan. God, how can I get on board with you and what you're doing? And you think about the realm of that and about the things we pray for. And when we pray, how many times often is it that if we really spend time seeking God and praying about something, we would probably see another facet of what's going on in this situation. And we would start praying a little bit differently because most of our prayers basically are selfish. What's going to be best for me personally, and maybe not what's best for the kingdom as a whole or, or, or other people, it's what's best for me. See, prayer is not just about my issues. It's a lot, it's a lot broader than that. Notice that Jesus said, we should pray his kingdom come his will be done. In other words, we are praying or we should be praying for the whole earth to surrender to God's will, for all of us to seek his will, everybody in the situation to seek God's will, that the earth would become like heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, totally following God's will. God's standards, God's values, everything should come into a compliance with what God would want for the situation. And our prayer is a way to say that we're on board with that, that we are willing to accept that. We're willing to follow and submit to your will, not just in this situation, but in a much broader sense in my life. I want my life to submit to your big plan, God. And I don't know what my place is in this. Help me to see my place, understand. I know, I, I know what I think is best, but I'm not sure. May not be your answer. And I'm willing to make your will be done on earth as much as possible. Can you imagine how things would change if we would pray like that? I don't know that I pray like that with that thought, my, thought process. i really, when you think about it in, in one way, prayer can be an extremely dangerous thing in that it takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes me out of what I think is best. And it makes us agents of change and revolution in our world. And if we pray submitted to God, if God doesn't give us what we want, we're not angry at God. We're starting to look at it in his situation. And one day we'll discover he knew what he was doing much more than we did. So when we talk to God, we ought to be intimate. We ought to be expectant. We ought to be reverent and submitted. Here's a fifth dynamic that Jesus gave. We should be dependent upon God. Whenever we pray, we need to remember that we are totally dependent upon God's provision for us that we're not coming as equals to God in any way, we're seeking God's blessing and his provision. And we see that in the prayer, the line, give us today our daily bread. And while we oftentimes tend to recognize that God is the one who provides our food, I think it's a lot broader than that. It's not just what we're gonna eat today and not just the meal that's sitting before us. This is about, I think, everything that we need for the day. Prayer is a way to acknowledge that we are dependent upon God for everything in our life. That we're dependent upon Him for the, for our food and our water and the air that we're breathing and our homes and our cars and our security and our friends and job and wisdom and everything. God, give us today what we need. Bless us. Provide for us. Because without God's blessing, we would be nothing at all. And that's why an element of our prayers should be thanksgiving. How often do we really thank God for the things that we have for the day, for the safety that we have, for our jobs, for our family, our friends, the life that we have here? Do we, think to, do we remember to thank God for what we have and to be grateful and to ask God continue to provide for those things? Do you, did you remember that line that says that God knows in advance what we need? We're not trying to inform God, hey God, I need food for the day. We're just saying, God, thank you for the food that I know you're gonna provide, the trust that we have. So without, while God knows the need, he still wants us to ask him and show our true dependence upon him. Jesus' next words here are, and forgive us our debts, and we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, I think this is where the prayer gets a little more serious and and a little more reflective. Hopefully, when we think about these words remind us that our prayers ought to be number six, honest. We ought to be honest in our prayers. We're not gonna deceive God into him thinking we're something that we're not. We said last week that you know we talked about authenticity and that we try to fool other people. We wear these masks and sometimes we think we're fooling God. Maybe we're fooling ourselves, but never him. But our prayer should be honest. Prayer forces us to reflect inward our life and see if we are giving other people what we're asking God for. And the biggest thing that we can give to others is forgiveness, right? We all know that we need forgiveness of our sins. We all know that God's the only person, the only being that can forgive us of our sins. And God wants us to come to him and lay those sins out. So confessions is an important part of our prayer life. But also we need to be honest about how we're responding to others. Are we asking God for something that we won't give other people? Are we trying to hide something? The things I I believe that, that, our sins can be grouped in three areas. And I thought about this a long time ago, the things that we have said, the things that we have done, and the things that we have thought. Seems to me like those three areas cover most of our sins. The, I say things, I think things, I do things, and there's a broad scope of sin there. But when we come, do we lay those things out? Are we honest about our thought life? Are we honest about our, our speech? Are we honest about what we have done toward God or toward other people? In fact, I think the prayer maybe, and our honesty in prayer is a way to determine, are we being, are we being honest with God overall? Are we trying to pretend to God that we are better than what we truly are? Does God want to see if we're going to confess all of our sins? I, I almost imagine that God does going, you know what you did. Are you going to, are you going to admit it? You know, are you gonna try to uh, circle around it? you Are gonna try to avoid that? Is God disappointed whenever we uh, intentionally leave out some sin because we're not willing to admit it or we're not ready to stop doing it? I definitely think God's disappointed when we do that. I think we break God's heart whenever we try to avoid confessing our sins. So God wants us to do that. Confession is a part of our prayer time. God wants us to be specific about our sins, not to inform him about what we did, he already knows that, but to acknowledge that we did something wrong and repent of them, And then we commit to change our behavior. So seeking forgiveness is a big part of our prayer life. But look how Jesus states that. Look how Jesus um, ties God's forgiveness to our own forgiveness of others. When he says, forgive our, us our debts as, it's a big word, as we have forgiven our debtors. Let me ask you this, do you really want God to forgive you like you have forgiven others? Do you really want that kind, that style of forgiveness? And think about how you forgive other people. Have you always forgiven people before you ask God to forgive you? There's a a principle. Jesus said, if you come to offer your gift, um, and before the Lord and you know that somebody has something against you or have something against them uh, leave your gift there and go out and make it right and then come back and worship God so that is very consistent with saying that if you haven't forgiven other people you probably don't have the right to ask God to forgive you down in verses uh, 14 and 15 it says for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sin your father will not forgive your sins I don't think most of us really grasp the truth of that. I really don't. And, and it's really, it's an important line there because there are people, and I know even Christians who say, well, I can never forgive someone. And if we would say we would never forgive someone, we're basically saying, I don't have the right to ask God to forgive me. I mean, it's pretty clear cut what he's saying there. God knows what our relationships are like. God knows everything. And God knows if we have forgiven people who have hurt us or purple people who have sinned against us. God understand, God knows that in advance, we don't even have to tell him those things. But he says to receive forgiveness and the grace of God, we have to extend that to other people or else we don't get that grace extended to us. And I really believe this is something that a lot of believers just don't get. They expect God to forgive them but they refuse to, believe, to, to, to uh, forgive people who have hurt them in a small way. When we think about the load of our sin that God can and will forgive versus some small offense that someone has done to us, there's no comparison between the two, but we refuse to forgive people who have hurt us. You know, Jesus was asked one time, how many times should I, or do I have to forgive someone? And he said, oh, 70 times seven. Now, he wasn't just saying, when you reach 490 times, cut it off. He's saying, basically, your forgiveness is is endless. You never stop forgiving people. And maybe you've had to forgive someone 490 times or more. Maybe you're keeping count of it. Uh, Or maybe forgive them, you know, for the same thing that many times. (laughs) Who knows? Forgiveness, though, is to be endless. It's to be endless. And and I really think this, this part of the prayer is probably overlooked because it's kind of at the end but but it's huge i believe because it's conditional right that jesus said that and i know this is tough and easier to to say uh, to say than it is to do and i understand that the hurt for some people is beyond words and i don't want to ever minimize someone's hurt because i know that hurt is real damage is real and it can last a very long time but the only way to move forward is to forgive and let God bring justice. We're reminded several times that, that vengeance is the Lord's, that we cannot try to exact that on people. God alone has the right to do that. And I've always believed that forgiveness is not so much a gift that you grant to someone else as it is a gift that you give to yourself. It's an act of obedience, but it's a gift you give yourself because we all know what it's like to have that those feelings of resentment and unforgiveness against somebody. And, and they may not even know it. They may be dead or they may be, you know, just, you know, ignorant of the whole thing, but you're punishing yourself and you're disobeying God. So forgiveness, we need to be quick to forgive people. Practicing forgiveness can also have powerful health benefits as well, how it, how it impacts you. Observational studies and even randomized trials have shown that forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression anxiety and hostility, reduced substance abuse, higher self-esteem levels, and greater life satisfaction. And then just basic health, you know, heart issues and everything else. When you have those feelings, the hard feelings inside, God doesn't want us going through life living like that, holding on uh, to hatred and hard feelings and unforgiveness that, that makes us bitter and makes us cynical in life. So God has a whole lot better plan for our lives. I don't know what we're trying to prove to ourselves, someone else, or maybe to God about not forgiving, but we have to let go of that. And I think that maybe being hurt is a way to see if we truly understand and accept the grace of God, who, who, you know, for our own sins. And if we can extend that to other people, because I promise you the extent of hurt you have had is nothing compared to the hurt that you have done to God. So maybe our being hurt is a way for us to experience in some way what God experiences when we sin against him. And by the way, we can definitely pray for God's help to forgive other people. God, we can say, God, help me forgive this person. That's a very valid prayer. And that forgiveness may not mean that we allow them into our lives again to hurt us. We may need to set boundaries, that's perfectly okay. But it does mean that we're not holding these offenses against them anymore. We are not punishing them by not forgiving them. We're letting God deal with them. Well, there's one more element of Jesus prayer. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? We are to pray in a humble way, in a humble way. Next phrase, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, a part of prayer is showing our dependence on God to protect us from Satan attacks. How much better it would be to avoid sin uh, all together than to get trapped in sin and then try to ask get, uh, how to get out of it or ask for forgiveness. Alone, we are defenseless. We're going to face temptation and our weakness, we're going to fall. But with God's help, we can avoid and resist temptation and the evil one. Do not be deceived. You know, Satan and his demons are out to destroy you in every way possible. Never think that he is harmless or your friend. And I don't think any of us really uh, realize the power of God and the angels of God who are literally holding back the forces of Satan from destroying us. They're protecting us. And that's what Jesus said, ask for God's protection. But we do know that Satan is free, at least on some level, to be able to tempt us. God allows him to do that at this time. So we need a humility to acknowledge our human weakness and our total dependence upon God for protection. Lead us not into temptation. Protect me from the the areas I'm weak in. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians six. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. These are victorious words, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, our battle is not primarily against one another. It's not against people. It's not against things of the world. It's against the devil and the powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil that we can't even see sometimes. God's holding some back, but we're still, we're still vulnerable to much of it. Jesus knew this and Jesus acknowledged the power of the devil time after time. And he warns us, do not be ignorant and unaware of his desire to destroy us. So we desperately need to ask God to help us and protect us from the evil one. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? You know, the Lord's prayer is beautiful. It's got a lot of facets to it. But I would encourage you as you read through that, it would be, it's a great prayer to model your prayers from not just repeating it, but, but understand that this is what Jesus has to say about prayer. In fact, I think prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. Oftentimes the most neglected too, but it's a great gift both to bring us to Christ and to keep us safe in Him. Prayer is so powerful. So powerful. You know, we're hearing a lot about revival all over the, our country. And it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it really is exciting and it stirs up inside of us. You know, revival shouldn't be the except, exception. It should be the norm among believers. When we think about our world and what we have, it should be normal. And we, we, can, we can usher that into our lives. We don't have to go down. It's cool to go down. I, we went down one, one evening. It, we don't need to go somewhere. We just need to go to God. That is where revival come from. And let me tell you this, that that revival comes through prayer, confession, and repentance and recommitment to God. That's where revival comes from. It's wonderful when it becomes more powerful and stirred up in other places, and it's awesome to see it on the college campuses. It's amazing what, what God is moving through this generation. But you know what? All of us can experience that as we open our hearts up, as we seek God through prayer, confession, And repentance and that would be my challenge to you this morning as we wrap up our time on prayer i can think of nothing better than to pray and i want to encourage you uh, we're going to open this time up like we always do and i would love to see this front just full of people who are seeking god confessing sin you know pouring out your life your heart repentance before the lord and those are the things that are going to change our country are going to change us first And then revival begins in us and it spreads to others i I would challenge you to do that we're going to be up front here some of us if you want to come up and pray someone pray with you but you don't need us necessarily to pray but just seek god let's pray together father we come to you this morning we're so grateful for this model prayer the lord's prayer god we take nothing from it but, but saying that we need to make this prayer our own and make it personal and seek you in an intimate way God, i pray that as we seek you personally that god you would show yourself to us in a fresh way god you would draw us to yourself lord that we would confess our sins and we would forgive others who have uh, who have uh, offended us lord we, we would acknowledge that we must do that before we can be forgiven and then lord we would pour our lives out to you and we experience that joy that 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 feeling of knowing that we're with you and seeking you and your priority becomes number one in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that we would seek that find that personally. God, we love you. We worship you. We want to be your people. Draw us to you. Help us seek you with all of our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand to worship our Lord.